Welcome to the Brazos Point Living Room. My name is Joseph Castillo, and I'm the small groups pastor here at Brazos Point. And I am joined by Michelle Masterson, our Connections Minister. Hey, guys. And as always, Randy Dandy Dane, our equipping pastor of something. Howdy, howdy. <laughs> I always forget what it is, Randy. Executive pastor of ministry. That's what it is. That's what it now is. Now equipping. Well, when you're equipping pastor for, you know, a good 14 years, it's hard to... Yeah, I'm just, it's too many words. Yeah. But it matters. Okay. Well, we are so excited that you guys are listening. And just a quick, a quick, a quick peek behind the curtain. For the last eight or nine months or so, the three of us have gotten together uh, and recorded a podcast for our small group leaders here at church. And in the process of doing that, we have just had great conversation. We have uh, grown, been challenged, learned new things, and we've laughed a ton along the way. And it has just been a joy. And so our hope is to, for the summer at least, to take that public. And the goal with this podcast is to take Sunday's message and turn it into a conversation with real people that is encouraging, challenging, and hopefully always a little fun along the way and to bring you into that. And so we are so glad that you are listening. And uh, we will be using the study guides from Sunday morning and just jumping right in, guys. Uh, have you ever had a unique or precarious moment where you had to trust in someone else's ability? I do have a, a good one. So this goes back to probably <laughs> the year 2000. Michelle and I were on a college church ski trip. What in we the world? We were in Kansas. And our van, our church van, rolled, and we landed. <laughs> it rolled over. Yeah, yeah. We Flipped. we we were in a we blizzard. We hamster wheeled that thing. Blizzard conditions. We landed on our wheel on on our top, and so everybody had started in their seats, and they were sitting on the roof of this vehicle. So anyway, uh, I'm an Eagle Scout, and I actually am and uh, excel at emergency preparedness. I had been asleep, <laughs> but woke up, and uh, Michelle had had not been asleep, and so uh, Michelle, I believed. <laughs> kicked a window out no, 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 no. for us to escape <laughs> and I was doing roll call to make sure that everyone was awake and alive and uh, and I had to trust Michelle's ability for us to exit the potentially burning vehicle while I was uh, taking account of so lives here's how it went down we're driving we um we call it we called it the casual roll. We were not moving that fast because it was a blizzard, <laughs> but we did go off the road and once we hit that, you know, grass, we just tumbled. And so I'm hamster wheeling. Randy wakes up and immediately <laughs> goes into emergency road mode and he's like, Hey, hey, is everybody okay? Is everyone accounted for? So and so, Crystal, Michelle, da 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 da. Okay. Everybody good? In the meantime, I have climbed out of the van where there is a window that has very conveniently just kind of fallen off. Like it wasn't <laughs> broken. It wasn't dangerous. I just climbed out of the van. And Randy's like, hey, no, first, before that, he was like, Michelle, we're going to find a way out of here. <laughs> and I was like, let's just go out that window. And you were like, no, so we're going to find a way out Who were you trusting in? <laughs> Michelle. Michelle. Yeah, I was, I was wrong. But I thought her emergency <laughs> preparedness. I people out that window. I thought her emergency preparedness skills were as keen as mine. Uh, she just got lucky. She just got out no, of there. She I just climbed got lucky. out of the window and got well, everyone out. I was ha ha. Randy not, likes to save lives. You, you didn't even have socks and shoes on. Well, I was taking care of others. <laughs> I was I was thinking more, you know, a doctor. Have you ever been in a moment where you, you had know, to I do. Really that trust? does actually. I have not had to trust in this person's ability, but I have a college roommate 
who is now an anesthesiologist. And that blows my mind because <laughs> I knew him when, right? And I can't imagine like trusting him to put me <laughs> under like the things that we did together, the things that I saw him do. And then also like at one point in, in our college life, he was trying to get a job at Red Lobster and I was helping him learn the menu because he had a test <laughs> and he was not getting it, you know? So I'm like, if you can't work the Red Lobster menu, can you really work a gas machine that puts people under while they get surgery? <laughs> I don't know, bro. It's I don't a, know. That's a different take on this question. Yeah. You and know he's not, you he's not in our community. He's in a different I was about to ask, is he in Brazoria County? I'm sure he's an amazing anesthesiologist just not my anesthesiologist (laughs) I guess my answer would be um when I was a teenager I really wanted to go skydiving and so when I was gosh I can't remember if I was 18 or 19 but I went and um the first time you go skydiving you have to do a tandem one where you're strapped to somebody um, and they're strapped to your back. <laughs> it's like very a, weird. You're like it's a, a backpack like they're your baby. What are those baby those yeah, things papoose. called? Baby yeah. Bjorn. <laughs> baby Bjorn. I and I was I was attached to a pretty large man, and like I think my feet didn't even touch the ground. Like when was we he, were standing was up. Was he handsome? No. <laughs> Probably a good thing, actually. Yeah, right? <laughs> but, Very good looking. Strap onto my back. And it's not that I necessarily thought I could do it. But it's more that I was completely in his yeah, hands. Yeah, it's up to him to... It's on his belly. The inexperienced person is in, in, in the front. Yeah, yeah. That's ironic. I do. I want to jump so bad. Well, the parachute's on the back. I have done it multiple times. You have not. I promise. How did I not? Like this? enough to go by yourself? Not that many times. How many times? But I will not be going anytime soon. Wow. I got a little kids. Because you're back. <laughs> my back. My bad back. Okay. <laughs> well, jumping right in. Uh, this week we kind of picked up our message series back of walking through the Gospel of John after a four week break, and uh, as we kind of continue this journey looking at Jesus, uh, there are. We see in this week, there are two distinct groups of people. There are those who believe Jesus because of his word, and there are those who seek signs and wonders. And so, you know, reading those first few verses there, Jesus talks, uh, we see the Samaritans and that they believe, and uh, Jesus kind of goes on to some more. But my first question is, why would the Samaritans be considered unexpected believers? Yeah, I think there's a couple of reasons, and, and some of it you can see right there in the text, and then some of it there's a little bit of historical context that you need. Um, but let's start with the historical context first. So Jesus is Jewish, and the Samaritans are the people of Samaria, right? And so these are different kinds of people in a sense. Um, Jesus, as a Jew, would have normally avoided Samaria altogether and not gone through it because he's Jesus and he's sent to seek and to save the lost, he goes through it and doesn't avoid Samaria like Jews typically would. But I mean, there's some bad blood here. And so for them to uh, become believers in a Jew as the Messiah, uh, that's, a, that's a big deal. There's some some almost racial tensions here, and especially the, the way that the Jews viewed the Samaritans as, as half-breeds and kind of taking the, mm-hmm. the religion and making it, you know, half-pagan. Um, so there's a lot of tensions in that regard. I think the other reason why it's unexpected is because what you see here is that what Jesus does in Samaria with the woman at the well is he just talks about 
what's going on in her life. Like he's not healing sick. He's not feeding people with two fish and five loaves. He's not uh, walking on water. He's not doing any physical phenomenon. Did he, did he have, you know, insight into her life and into her mind? Oh, yes, but it's all the spoken word and none of it's uh, a physical demonstration of his power like what you see in other other dynamics. Yeah, more so than performing some kind of healing miracle or something like that. He's making her feel known. Yeah. Mm. Well, and then and then this this is, you know, multiplying beyond her into other Samaritans who didn't even have that experience necessarily. Which that's They're another reason it's unexpected is that they all listened to this woman who came back and as a woman it's kind of surprising that the men listened to her. Yeah in that culture and also you know we know that this woman was probably on the fringe of her community yeah so there's just layers here you consider it's coming from a woman's testimony when you consider that it's coming from a jewish man and when you consider the fact that he's not opened up his bag of, of jesus tricks right like it's it is unexpected yeah mm. well if you continue reading you see that it says jesus went departed for galilee and then in parentheses there, it says, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. I know, Randy, you probably won't get much into this in the message, but I just think it's such an interesting thing. That's kind of an aside there, but I think there's a lot in that one sentence. And so my question is, why did what did Jesus mean when he pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country? It's kind of a bizarre phrase that John captures in the middle of this story. And I read a good deal of commentary on it and lots of interesting things. But of all the things that I read, I think what was most compelling to me is this idea of over familiarity. Mm-hmm. You know, so like being from the hometown, these people watched and saw him grow up when he was just the carpenter's boy. Right. He had 30 years of, of not exercising his abilities as God necessarily. And so they saw Jesus back when, you know, like they grew up with him. They saw him. They saw him as a kid and as a boy and, and, and all throughout that. So there's this over familiarity uh, that leads to this point of going, no, no, that, that guy's not special. special. That's just Mary and Joseph's boy. I know him. Mm-hmm. I've always known him. Right. And what I think is super powerful about that is I think that can translate into modern day in a sense that we can be so familiar with Jesus because maybe we've heard about him from before uh, we were even old enough to talk and be so familiar with him and his stories and the experience of Jesus and the gospel uh, that our over familiarity could lead us to being unimpressed with Jesus. Mm. And I think that's a really powerful caution for us to be like, you know what, let's look at Jesus with fresh eyes. And that's what I love about this walking through the gospel of John. I and mean, that's what it's done in my life is it's just been a sweet opportunity to look at Jesus with fresh eyes. And I think all of us would, would do well to do that. An anesthesiologist has no honor in his own college hometown. That's exactly it. No honor with his college roommates. No honor with his college roommates. You know, one other thing I read on this that I thought was interesting was uh, the idea of, instead of over-familiarity, the idea of uh, pride of attachment to someone special. Mm. Uh, So, you know, no, 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 he's not not honored. I am. I'm going to be honored because of my proximity to him. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I don't know about y'all. I mean, I know Michelle because we, we grew up together. So Michelle and I have a friend, a mutual friend that we've known him since junior high. And, uh, I mean, like I had sleepovers with this guy when I was in junior high. And he's, he's, a, he's a country artist, like, and he's making it. He's, he's fairly big time. I was sitting in a restaurant this morning having a meeting, and he came over the radio in the restaurant and then I was in I was like yeah yeah that's right I know this guy you know I got this pride of attachment to someone <laughs> did special. you say that oh yeah I interrupted the meeting and said this song and this, his name I had sleepovers with this guy his name is George Strait his name was uh, his name is I'll tell you who it is sure his name is Cody Jinx 
Yeah, yeah I hope that your anesthesiologist roommate is not listening because <laughs> you're proud of that friend, but not the other one. <laughs> I'm he proud knows, of all of them. He well, knows, he I wouldn't let is. Cody put me under either. No, no, no. No, you're not coming well, back. <laughs> just so you know, guys, this is public now. <laughs> so oh, that's right. Uh, just one other thing. I had us also in the study guide reading uh, a little further into John, and there's this moment where uh, it says that Jesus, uh, his brother, said to him, leave here, go to Judea, so that your disciples may see the works you're doing. And basically, they're kind of mocking him that Jesus' own family doesn't believe. And it says in verse 5, "For not even his brothers believe in him. And I just think that's such a powerful reminder. Like he's talking about these people know me, they have no honor because they think they understand me. And I think about that verse right there. It says his brother, even his own brothers didn't believe in him. Hmm. And it's true. And yet you go further into the New Testament and you see the book of James. And that is Jesus's brother. And I mean, let's skip ahead to the story, but he does not believe in him. We see here. And it's not until that Jesus dies, he sees his brother die, he comes back to life that he recognizes Oh, he was for real. Yeah, well, man, my sister's a sweetheart. It it would take uh, some serious signs and wonders for me to believe that she's the Messiah. Well, that's what's so interesting. Like, I try to put myself in his brother's shoes, and I think, okay, I get how, I mean, I've known this kid since I was born, you know, and he's not so special. But at the same time, Jesus was perfect. Like, (laughs) what was that like to live with? Well, and you also, I mean, you've got all that Mary knew and Joseph knew before his birth. Right. And that stuff doesn't disappear during his childhood, but still. But it it never tells us that an angel appeared to his brothers and said, hey, he's the Messiah. They probably would have appreciated a good little little angel visit. (laughs) I know, they're forever. They're forever in our Bibles. It's not believing. (laughs) Uh, I just think it was, it was cool to tie in the full story and you see a little glimpse here of, you know, yeah. Yeah. who these people were. With James, he, mm-hmm. he does, he is convinced, you know, and he is, after the resurrection, he's in. Well, in the study guide, I have us reading the rest of the story. There's this man who comes to Jesus, an official, whose son is sick, and he comes to Jesus asking for him to, to heal his son. And Jesus says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Talking about the group of people who are asking for signs and wonders. Uh, And I just wrote, you know, many times we encourage people that doubts are okay and that God is not afraid of our questions. Yet in this instance, we see Jesus display frustration with people asking for signs and wonders. So my question to you guys is, what's the difference between asking for signs and wonders and having doubts about God? I think a big part of it. Are they okay? Yeah, I I think a big part of it gets at the condition of our hearts. Mm. And, and God knows that, right? God knows whether we're coming from a place of skepticism and hard-heartedness or if we're coming from a place of genuine curiosity and a desire to find the truth about God. Mm-hmm. And I think clearly he has the ability to discern our hearts. And so I think that might be the litmus of, of why, whether something is okay or not okay. Yeah. You know? I mean, I'm curious, do, do either of you have <clears throat> much experience with doubts? Uh, I think um, thinking back to years past, I mean, before, you know, when I was exploring faith in Jesus, uh, I think I had plenty of doubts. I think I'm naturally bent to be a skeptic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think, um, yeah, there were plenty of doubts and questions and, and things I wanted to understand. And I think that's kind of how I take this question. How do you differentiate between doubt and what these people are doing? Mm-hmm. I don't think that the majority of them are curious. I don't think they're seeking understanding. I think they're almost saying, prove us wrong. Yeah. challenge us. Yeah, like, and I think that's what I want people to know is that doubts are natural, you know, that it is it is normal. And and I think we think of things in terms of stark contrast. It's all in or all out. It's it's this or that. And I think what we all can attest to is you can be both and. You can you can be you can have faith and 
questions yeah. all at the exact same time. I mean, to answer your question, there have been times that I've had doubts, and, and I think we've talked about this before, but especially in college where you start to be exposed to different worldviews and, you know, get to know people who um, have different faith systems and all that kind of stuff, you start to think they are just as convinced that they have mm. the answer as I am that I have the answer. How do we know which one is right? Even within our own faith, there are so many different views of different mm -hmm. theological perspective you know yeah. different points well and i love what you're bringing out because I, I think this is what you do with doubts like when there are doubts recognize that they're natural but then lean into it so and let it drive you to seek answers that's what i was gonna say Don't thankfully my experience has been those times that i've had doubts that it does drive me to seek it out for myself and my faith becomes stronger on the other side of it um and i may i may in a way, ask for signs and wonders almost as a reminder, you know, because anytime I, anytime I have had doubts, that's the first thing my mind goes to is think about what you know to be true. Think about what you know God has done, who you know God is, what you've experienced in your own life. Well, and don't forget that Jesus did these signs and wonders. Yeah. Right? He did them out of compassion, well, and he did them in order to authenticate his mission. Even going back to Old Testament, it makes me think of Gideon and putting the, the fleece, fleece out. Yeah. And, you know, as we read it, it's kind of wild because it's like, just do what God's asking you to do. But God honored, he blessed that. He did what Gideon was asking and did it again when he was asking. And then later on in Gideon's story, you know, it says, so God went and did this so that Gideon would be convinced so that he would do it. Like God mm -hmm. knew. Very patiently. Yes. Yeah. Well, you know what I really want people to take home on this is the reality. Like Tim Keller says this. He says, we need to be understanding that it's not the, it's not the strength of our faith that establishes our security. So weak faith in a strong branch is superior to strong faith in a weak branch. All right. So the idea is someone's falling off a cliff and they're holding on to a branch. All right. So strong faith in a weak branch isn't going to save you. You're not going to be secure. It's going to snap and you're going down. But if you've got even just weak faith in a strong branch, that it that that's secure. And so it's not the strength of our faith, but the object of our mm -hmm. faith that accomplishes the security. And so just remember that in your doubting, like there's mm -hmm. it's not it doesn't come down to you. If you really understand the gospel to begin with, you recognize this is on Jesus and not on you anyway. Well, the next question is just simple. Why did Jesus perform miracles? You kind of touched on some of that. Because he could. <laughs> <laughs> I think earlier I called it his bag of tricks. <laughs> not sure that you're supposed to what do What translation that. was that? Yeah. Bag of tricks. <laughs> no, I think this is such a great question. It is simple, but I love it because I think it helps us understand so much of what's going on in the Gospels and what, and what has gone on in the church since. Like, my understanding is that the, the, the miracles are a demonstration of Jesus' power in order to authenticate the gospel message that Jesus is highest and best. His primary has always been about meeting spiritual need and taking care of our spiritual sin sickness over our physical ailments. But he used those moments out of compassion and tenderness and genuine concern for those people. But at the end of the day, the primary purpose behind all those were authenticating the gospel message that it proved that he had the power to forgive sins, not just the power to, to fix bodies. 
And I think that's so important for us to see and to understand because it is unique. It's unique in the Gospels because this is when the Gospel is being, uh, you know, announced. This is when Jesus is, is, is coming onto the scene. And, uh, and every one of those times was an opportunity to show that he actually had the power to do what he said he would do and to be who he claims to be as the Redeemer, the Savior, the Deliverer. Obviously, there's a lot of creative license, but, you know, we've been watching The Chosen. And have you watched it yet, Joseph? I'm waiting. I'm waiting. Okay. Waiting, I am. So, it, I mean, there it is a creative, you know, illustration know of what it could have been. But I love seeing the miracles played out in that because it's just so interesting to put yourself in that situation and think about what it might have felt like to see Jesus do something like this while at the same time loving people so well. Hmm. Well, in the study guide, I have us reading the rest of the story with this the, the official who's asking for his son to be healed. Um, and eventually he takes Jesus at his word and he turns around and he says, Jesus tells him, go, your son will live. And the man believes Jesus's words and he went on his way. So, you know, kind of before we get into this, my, my, one of the questions I have is, uh, we see this man come to Jesus and then he leaves. But what first motivated you to get to church? And then what kept you coming back? Like just how did you in just, life from the beginning? Just in general. Yeah. Well, how did you first get to church? What drew you there? I mean, I was a baby. <laughs> like, I didn't parents have putting a choice. her in the car seat. Well, and I really didn't have a choice. Did they use a car seat back then? <laughs> <laughs> we they were born in the carried. same year gosh <laughs> just carried you. i'll tell you what motivated me so my family uh kind of like michelle we went to church but we only went to church some i, I would guess maybe in total less than 50 percent of the time um so spare you a lot of details but i was probably in about sixth grade and my mom and i were at a restaurant just the two of us and our pastor who baptized her married her baptized my dad like a lot of history there he walked up to the table and he kind of shamed my mom a little bit and was like, hey, Anita, don't you think that you ought to get your kids in church more often? And it hacked me off. And I was like, I will show this guy. I will just go to a different church. <laughs> and I did. I went to a different church. And I went there every Sunday morning, every Sunday Never night, every left. Wednesday night. <laughs> Do you think that showed pastor him knows wrong? that? Huh? I, yeah, yeah. He, was, he lived five houses down from my mom and Do dad. Do you think Nine. he's listening? He's dead. <laughs> If he is, he's listening. Bad anesthesia. <laughs> no, he's <laughs> really old. <laughs> so anyway, well, that's what motivated me to get well, there was to prove a pastor wrong. What motivated me to keep going back, though, because I eventually got old enough that it was my own decision to go. But definitely it was established as a pattern in life. Like it was part of my weekly routine. It was an expectation that I was going to go to church on Sunday um, and Part of it was, in all honesty, I don't know that it was guilt that motivated me, but it was knowing that that is what God wanted me to do, and he would know it if I didn't. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think for me, I went to church because I heard that's where the cute girls were. <laughs> that's where you found Emily, right? As a junior high student, I did, I did meet my wife in church. Uh, it wasn't back then. Uh, it wasn't as a junior high student. Uh, but, you know, I, my life changed. And so you know how many people though, go to church because that's where they find out. They think that's where the guys or the girls are, well, you know. I, you or know, the you one know, that you have a crush on. We make we make fun of that there. so much in hindsight. Like everyone just gets there for the cute girl. But when you're older and you're actually looking, like what better place to well, be? And yeah, right. You know, we want to. Yeah. Well, Joseph and I were joking earlier. Michelle I said, you know, you went to church for the cute girls and you left with a relationship with a man, a god man, but the man. <laughs> <laughs> Forever life, life relationship with the God yeah, man. Yeah, we met our spouses at church. Yeah, 
yeah. Aww. Aww. <laughs> well, the hope, uh, the hope for that question is just to be kind of funny. But the idea too is that the man comes to Jesus looking for something. He comes to Jesus saying, "I just need you to help my son. I need you to perform a miracle. He's he's dying." And yet we see a moment there where he actually turns into faith. It turns into faith where he believes Jesus at his words. He turns around before the miracle has been done. Jesus says, it has been done. His son is not there. And he turns around. He walks home to his son, believing that Jesus is capable. And so I just wrote, you know, uh, I kind of answered the question, even though the man was asking for a sign, how did he trust Jesus's words? I mean, it's this powerful moment of his, he comes looking for one thing and leaves the, the NIV says the the man took Jesus at his word, mm. uh, but the Greek there that is translated took at his word is believed. It's pistuo, and it means to believe. So he believed just based on what Jesus said. Yeah. You know, so the question is why? Like why without just – why did he – and the interaction is so interesting because there's so little commentary. There's so little reaction. Like he's rich and powerful. You would think he would just like say, grab the God man and bring him to my house. Make him come, you know. Um, but why would he do it? And I have to think it had to have something to do with his interaction with Jesus. Mm-hmm. Something you know, like, not in there. Yeah, just... well, or even just looking into his eyes. Yeah. I mean, like when Jesus looks at him and says, hey, go. He's different. Yeah, like you come off of this moment where Jesus is, is really rebuking the crowd. But I think this moment where he looks in the guy's eyes and he says, hey, go, your son mm-hmm. is going to be well. I think it was a moment of tenderness. And, and I think it awakened something in this man that was enough that he was like, I believe this enough that I'm going to walk away and go home. Yeah, exactly. How hard would it be to walk away if you didn't trust that Jesus was going to do what he said? Yeah, I love it. That's a lot of faith. Well, just wrapping it up um, and bringing it home, what is an area of your life you can be better at trusting Jesus's words? Man, I was thinking on this one, and I wanted to give you something just super specific, but the more I thought about it, it was it's kind of general. Like, I want to be better in trusting that his thoughts are not my thoughts and that his ways are higher than my ways, you know? Like, uh, I just think of dealing with some situations, some big life kinds of things, and just like, you know what? That's God's way of handling it. Is it the way that I would do it? No, but we're all better off that he's God and that I'm not. Hmm. And and I want to get better at just trusting his ways and his words and accepting that this is the way God is doing this and this is the way that this is unfolding, and it's all going to be for our good. I think for me specifically, you know, when God has a next step for me and I'm taking that next step, there's usually a point that I'm pretty far out of my comfort zone. And I had that moment yesterday. And as I was driving the hour home, I just prayed the entire way. And kind of like I said earlier, when I have times of doubt, I just remember what God has said, what God has done, who God is and who God is to me. And so it helped me trusting that, you know, he is the one who brought me to the point of obedience. He's the one that asked me to do this. And so he'll equip me for Mm -hmm. it and he will give me what I need when I need it. (laughs) Not necessarily before. (laughs) I think mine, it ties in pretty clear to randy's the idea of i just need to trust all of his words right (laughs) you know like uh, just there's not necessarily um one specific place it's just all of it it's um trusting that he's in control um um, and in the moments of life decision making of my plans and my hopes and futures and things just trusting that he's in control and he sees the full picture and i don't 
you know? Yeah, that just made me think, you know, I think to myself, I do trust all of God's words. I believe all of God's words. But then when I take it the next step and say, do I live like Ooh, I trust yeah. all of God's words? Do, do I behave that way? Do my actions show that? Do the way, does the way I react to things show that? And that's where I think about this man that Jesus said, go, and the man went like he lived he behaved he acted as if he believed jesus's word so i think that's the challenge for me is to to not just have this in my head and in my heart but live that way too Hmm. that's good well thank you so much for listening we're so glad that you uh joined us and uh we hope you come back um again our hope is that we just take sunday's message and turn it into conversations that challenges grow us and that we can laugh along the way and uh yeah we hope you have a great week and if you enjoyed it let us know somehow call michelle (laughs) (laughs) she wants to know uh but again have a great week and tune in next week see you then